Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Jay, and I'm one of the pastors here at Triumph West. And for those of you who've been wondering, yes, uh, I still do work here. Um, And uh, our scripture reading for this fourth week in Advent comes to us from the prophet Zephaniah in uh, our series, uh, Old Testament Readings for Christmas. So, Prophet Zephaniah, chapter 3, I'm going to be reading verses 14 through 17. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord, your God, is with you the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. The word of the Lord. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart. That's what the Lord, speaking through his prophet, invites us to do. Rejoice. But, I mean, seriously, when when was the last time that you really rejoiced? If you look up the word rejoice in the dictionary, it says that to rejoice means to feel and express great happiness. And so that explains it then, why we don't rejoice. Because to rejoice, first of all, is to feel an enormous sense of happiness and and well-being at the, the, the very core of your soul, And then, second, to allow yourself to express that. And so the reason that we do so little rejoicing, even at Christmas time, is because we're too afraid. Just like the shepherds at the Christmas story, like it says in the old King James, the shepherds were sore afraid. So are we. And nothing kills rejoicing quicker than fear. What are we afraid of? Oh, man, all kinds of things. We're afraid of what the doctor might say or what the doctor's already said. We're afraid that that someone we love is going to die or we're going to die. We're afraid of being broke, of that mountain of medical debt, of not having enough money to retire. We're afraid of mass shootings. We're afraid of terrorism. We're afraid of someone breaking into our house while we're sleeping. And we're afraid of those who see the world way differently than we do because we're afraid that they'll take over. And we're afraid of whatever it is that's going on in our government at any given time. We're afraid that the divisiveness in our country is going to lead to something unthinkable. We're afraid of getting COVID and suffering. We're we're, we're afraid of suffering from the effects of our government trying to deal with COVID. We're afraid of the choices our loved ones are making. We're afraid of the kind of world that our kids and our grandkids are growing up in. Isn't that enough? 
Well, we're afraid, all right. Sore afraid. So when we sing songs like the kids just did, Joy to the World, we get a funny feeling down in our guts. Because deep down in those places that we don't like to talk about at our Christmas parties, we're afraid that as nice and as sentimental as the Christmas story is, the, the, the reality of the situation is that if there's going to be any kind of Christmas miracle, the kind to help deal with any of the stuff that we're afraid of, well, then we're going to have to pull it off ourselves. And I'm just going to be real honest. If, if you and I are responsible for pulling off our own Christmas miracles, we got good reason to be afraid. Six hundred years before the first Christmas, the people of Judea were every bit as afraid as we are. Rival empires were threatening to invade and attack and and divide up the country and, and carry off the people. God's chosen people were poor and hungry and weak. Injustice and corruption was everywhere. Times were hard. And their faith turned to false idols. They lost all hope. And if you take a look, just a couple chapters back in Zephaniah, you can see just how hopeless the people had become. Zephaniah tells us that that the people sunk so low that they started believing that God was powerless to help them. Or even worse, that God just didn't care. Here's what they said. It's in chapter 1, verse 12. The Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. The Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. Lord isn't going to do anything, one way or another. So we are on our own down here. Those are some haunting words. I mean, can you feel the the desperation there? You know, actually, what these words are is, is these are the words of a practical atheist. Ever heard that before, a practical atheist? Well, a practical atheist is someone who believes in God, but who lives and thinks and acts like God doesn't exist. Like God has just decided to not become involved. Just like the people of Israel said, the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. I mean, that could be the slogan for practical atheism. So if you need a miracle, man, it's all up to you. But here's the thing, that that if we live our lives like this, like we're on our own down here, if we live as, as practical atheists, that, that typically, I mean, almost always really results in one of two things. Some of us live recklessly in light of that. You know, we walk a path of, of overindulgence and of <clears throat> self-gratification, you know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die kind of thing. Some of us do that, but most of us don't. No, most of us don't recklessly throw our lives to the wind. Most of us choose the other path of practical atheism. Not living recklessly, but living very, very carefully. 
So we avoid taking any kind of risks. And we, we work hard. We, we play by the rules. We color inside the lines. We practical atheists like to keep things surface level. We don't have the time or the energy or the patience or the, the capacity, really, for mystery or wonder. We just want to do our job and fulfill our responsibilities and take care of business and hope and pray for the best. But the problem is that never leads to rejoicing. Practical atheists don't rejoice. I came across this quote. Uh, it's from a, a character in, in one of John Updike's novels. And this quote just has been gnawing away at me. The character said this. He said, Westerners, that, that's us, Westerners have lost whole octaves of passion. Westerners have lost whole octaves of passion. I, I think he's right. I, I, we have lost whole octaves of passion. Most of us do everything we can to avoid the low octaves of suffering and, and sadness and, 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 and struggling. And we don't risk the high octaves. I mean, we, we don't want to reach too high. We don't want to set our heart on things. We don't want to get our hopes up. So we have lost whole octaves of passion, both the high and the low. We just want to keep things nice and even under control right here in the middle where it feels more comfortable, where, honestly, where it feels safer. But let me tell you something. When you take out the, the high notes and the low notes, I mean, the music of life gets pretty lame, pretty stale, it's boring, it's predictable, it's dull. You know, that's what living in fear does to us. It dulls us, doesn't it? I mean, when's the last time you cried yourself to sleep? When's the last time you saw a news story and, and you spit your drink out of your mouth and screamed at the TV or at your phone because you were so upset? Or when's the last time that you and your spouse closed down a restaurant because you, you were just so into each other that you completely lost track of time? When's the last time you spent your vacation serving the poor in a third world country? When is the last time you were moved, moved emotionally by, by something, even something simple, something like a sunset or the smell of your wife's hair or the feel of your husband's arms around you or a baby's smile? When was the last time you rejoiced? It makes me wonder if there's anything that's more soul-numbing than living too carefully because, well, living too carefully is just another way of saying living too fearfully. And more than a few of us have given in to this, this careful, which is to say fearful, kind of life. Right here. 
But let me tell you something, God has not. God has not, God has not and will not give in to this fearful, dull, monotonous kind of life. And and so God spoke through his prophet Zephaniah and said, do not fear. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. The message is you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live afraid because God is with you. God is ultimately involved. And Zephaniah says that not only is the Lord with you, but but that he takes such great delight in you that he will rejoice and break out into song over you. And in the original language, it actually says break out into loud singing over you. And for 600 years, the people of Israel waited for this prophecy to be fulfilled. They waited for this day to come, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited. And Zephaniah's promise was passed down from generation to generation to generation. For 600 years, grandparents held their grandchildren on their laps, and they'd tell them, listen, sweetheart, someday this darkness that we're living in will be shattered by the glory of the Lord. Someday the Lord will come to us. And, and when that great and glorious day comes, my love, the Lord himself will rejoice over us with loud singing. And then those grandkids grew up and they turned into grandparents. And then they told their grandkids. And they told their grandkids and on and on and on down through the generations. For 600 long years, they waited. And then one night, it happened. Uh, On what seemed like any other long, dark night in Bethlehem, some shepherds were in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. When suddenly the sky was ripped wide open and the veil between heaven and earth was pulled back and an angel of the Lord came upon the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This long-expected news, this long-expected moment, it was so spectacular, so wonderful. It was so earth-shatteringly joyful that the armies of heaven broke out into that loud singing that the Lord had promised all those years ago. They sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom God's favor 
rests. Now, I mean, sure, those shepherds, they certainly weren't Bible scholars, and there's a pretty good chance that they had no idea that Zephaniah's prophecy was being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. But I'm pretty sure that Luke knew it, because I'm pretty sure that's why Luke included it in his gospel. But most importantly, we know that God knew it. God was overflowing with such great happiness and delight over us that he rejoiced literally with loud singing. And the reason for this, the reason for this this off-the-charts rejoicing, the reason for God's passionate, unrestrained happiness is simply this, because, because God is finally with us. He came to find us and save us from sin and death and hell and to bring us back to himself forever and ever. And you know what? Since God is with us, well, well that means that, that we aren't on our, on our own down here after all. We aren't alone down here. We aren't left to, f- to figure everything out for ourselves. We, we aren't responsible to drum up our own Christmas miracles. God is here with us. God is on the scene with us right in the middle of all the music of life, all the high octaves and all the low ones. We are not on our own. And so we don't have to keep trying to save ourselves by being careful and coming up with our own miracles. Because now that God is here with us, anything can happen. Anything can happen when God is involved. God is with us, and that changes everything. Poet uh, John Shea wrote this really great Christmas poem. It's called Sharon's Christmas Prayer. And the Sharon in the poem is a five-year-old girl. And so the poem is written as if five-year-old Sharon is telling the Christmas story. Here it is. Sharon was five and sure of the facts and recited them with slow solemnity, convinced that every word was revelation. She said... Mary and Joseph were so poor that they had only peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to eat. And they went a long way from home without getting lost. The lady rode a donkey and a man walked and, and the baby was inside the lady. They had to stay in a stable with an ox and an ass But the three rich men found him because a star lighted the roof. Shepherds came, and and you could pet the sheep, but you couldn't feed them. And then the baby was born. And do you know who he was? 
Sharon's quarter eyes inflated to silver dollars. The baby was God. And she jumped in the air, whirled around, dove into the sofa, and buried her head in the cushions, which is the only proper response to the good news that God is with us. You know, just like we saw a few minutes ago, when it, when it comes to Christmas, kids just get it. They get it. I mean, I mean kids know that, that when, you, when you look at something that, that's so wonderful, so holy, so set apart, or, or when you tell the story and you get to the most embarrassingly special part of the story, the only thing that makes any sense is to dive for the couch and bury your head in the cushions. And the embarrassingly special part of the Christmas story is that God is so ridiculously happy to find you that he doesn't even mind that you're a practical atheist. God is so incredibly happy to find you that he can't help but rejoice and break out in loud singing. So do you hear it? Do you hear God rejoicing over you with loud singing? Shh, listen. Do you hear God singing? Singing over you. Not because you've done such a great job, not, not because you've been really, really careful, not because you tried so hard, but simply because in the birth of Jesus Christ, God has found you. Because you and God are together. And now, well, anything can happen. Anything. Anything at all. Because God is involved. So go ahead. Go ahead and sing all the notes. The high octaves and the low octaves and everything in between. Go ahead and truly rejoice. Like the prophet Zephaniah said, rejoice with all your heart. Amen. Let's pray together. O oh, holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, their great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us. Abide with us. Our Lord Emmanuel. Amen.